seated. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we thank you uh, for the day, and I just want to pray this morning that we would be uh, once again amazed by Jesus, not just by what he did, uh, but by who he is, and that our amazement uh, would turn to worship. We thank you again for Jesus. It's in his name we pray. Amen. The truth of the matter is that we are all sometimes uh, blind personally. Uh, We're blind to our shortcomings. We're blind to our faults. We're we're blind to that sort of thing. As a matter of fact, I heard years and years ago, I heard an old uh, psychological principle that is still to this day kind of terrifies me. And it's that your greatest criticism of others often reveals your greatest insecurity about yourselves. That scares me. (laughs) Uh, Your greatest criticism of others often reveals your greatest insecurity about yourselves. It's the person that kind of rants all the time about people passing them on the highway or going too fast through the neighborhood, and they have absolutely no problem speeding themselves. But they'll rant about it. They'll rant about other people doing it, but they can't see it in themselves. It's the person that grouses about work habits around the office, uh, but they're on social media all day posting pictures of Instagram, and they'll, they'll rant about everybody else, but they just don't see it uh, in themselves. It's the person that complains about materialism. They're, like, they're up to their eyeballs in debt, and they like to buy pretty things and that, that whole thing. And it's kind of a terrifying idea, but it really is true. Our greatest criticism of others often reveals our greatest insecurity uh, about ourselves. And here's the truth about it. It is very difficult for us to see these things. That while the guy is ranting about traffic or the person's ranting about work habits or uh, while, while the person's complaining about materialism, kind of everybody in their life's going like, are you being serious? You're being serious about other people speeding? Dude, you've gotten 10 tickets last year. You know, you're, you're being serious about materialism. You bought, you bought so many things this year, you, you know, and everybody kind of sees it, but this person is blind to it. There, there's, we can be, we, we can have a personal blindness. We can also have a relational, relational blindness that can be also really destructive. That we, when you're dating someone and you're thinking about marrying them or you're in a, a serious relationship with them and everybody in your sphere kind of sees this glaring flaw, but you can't see it because they're cute or handsome or fill this void in, in some way and you keep getting more and more serious with them and everybody in your life's like, are you for real? Like you don't hear their laugh, that grating laugh. <laughs> You can't, you can't hear that, right? Or, or you can't tell that like, she or he, they, they lie all the time. They're constantly lying. You really don't see it. And you don't. Because there is a relational blindness, just like there's a personal blindness. We often become blind to things. If you have your Bibles, this is what we're talking about in John 9. We're going to talk about spiritual blindness today. And we're specifically going to talk about Uh, from the angle of one of the miracles that Jesus performed. Remember, whenever he does these miracles, he's doing something in the physical realm to teach something about himself in the spiritual realm. And so Jesus is gonna heal today a man born blind. We'll see that in just a minute. But then we're gonna see this man that he heals take steps toward Jesus and come out of spiritual blindness into full relationship with Jesus. And, and what I would describe as spiritual blindness, let me just define it before we get into the miracle, is it, spiritual blindness is for whatever reason, the way you were raised or a hardship that you're going through in your life right now, whatever the case is, spiritual blindness is not seeing Jesus 
for who he is and what he came to do. It's, it's not, you, you just can't put, fully put your faith in him. You're spiritually blind to who he is. You're spiritually blind to his character. You're spiritually blind to his actions. You're spiritually blind to his salvation. And, and this was this guy's position. He didn't, admittedly, he didn't know a ton about Jesus before this miracle. But we're going to watch in this story as he takes one step after another toward Jesus and walks out of blindness into full light. So we're going to be in John 9. I say we start in verse 1. How about you? Verse 1 is always a good place to start, right? As he went along, he saw a man blind from birth. His disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Neither this man nor his parents sinned, said Jesus, but this happened so that the works of God might be displayed in him. As long as it is day, we must do the works of him who sent me. Night is coming when no one can work. While I am in the world, I am the light of the world. After he said this, he spit on the ground. This is a more unusual miracle, right? As you'll you'll see it unfold. He spit on the ground, made some mud with his saliva, and put it on the man's eyes. Go, he told him, wash in the pool of Siloam. This word means sent. So the man went and washed and came home seen. His neighbors and those who had formerly seen him begging asked, isn't this the same man who used to sit and beg? Some claimed that it was. Others said, no, it only looks like him. But he himself insisted, I am the man. I was pictured, bum, 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 I am the man, right? How then were your eyes open, they asked. He replied, the man they called Jesus made some mud and put it on my eyes. He told me to go to Salome and wash. So I went and I washed and I could see. I love this guy. He's very succinct. (laughs) You know, like, here's what happened. Spit, mud, eye, sight, all right? Where is this man, they asked him. I don't know, he said. So the miracle, let's, we're gonna kind of get into the miracle first, and then I wanna kind of walk through his spiritual awakening is what I'm gonna call it. But the miracle starts with an interesting question from the disciples. Who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? And this was a very, very common teaching in Jesus's day. It was a theological assumption, untrue, but a theological assumption that you've done something wrong to warrant the challenges that you face. A lot of people believe this in Jesus's day, and Jesus's answer is simple, not true. Who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Neither, neither sin that caused his blindness. And it's not that they had never sinned, it's that their sin was not the reason for his blindness. Uh, you know, they obviously had sin, but that their sin didn't result in their son being blind. Jesus said that, that's just a cultural belief that is absolutely untrue. To understand kind of pain and suffering and to understand these challenges, you have to go all the way back to Genesis 1, where we started the origin story series uh, earlier, uh, earlier this year. And in this story, you see God's intention for creation. He creates this beautiful earth, right? Absolutely gorgeous mountains and oceans and land and sea and uh, creatures and land creatures and sea creatures. He creates all of this beautiful stuff. That is his intention for creation, to create beauty. You see him create community, that it was not good for the man to be alone. So he creates the woman. He says, man, live in community. It's not good for you to kind of go solo. I think it's been one of the really hard things about the pandemic is we have kind of been separated from each other. He said, you were created for community and that community is a beautiful thing. You see him create work before sin enters the world. Work existed. He says, making a contribution, making a difference is a really, really good thing. And so God's original uh, intent for creation is beauty 
and community and effort and all of this stuff. What you don't see in the creation story is blindness and sickness and disease and disability. Though That was not part of God's intention for this world. That was not God's creation. That wasn't the way God designed things to be. As a matter of fact, those things only entered the world in Genesis 3. When the first man and the first woman, they brought sin into the world. And now all of us, we live in a broken and fallen world. We live in a broken and fallen world where there is struggling and there is hardship and there is death and there is disease. And here's what you might be tempted to say, like I am. You might be tempted to say, God, why don't you end the suffering? Why don't you end the challenges? Why don't you end the difficulty? And here's what I want you to understand. Every eye on me just for a minute. I want you to understand he will. If you think God should end suffering and disease and hardship, you are on the exact same page as your God. God is going to do that someday. Someday Jesus will return with fire in his eyes and a sword in his mouth and he will return to this earth and he will vanquish sin. He will vanquish death. He will vanquish disease and it will be all done and we will return to glory with him. We will return to heaven with him and we will live in a place of perfection. That will all happen when Jesus returns. That's just not the reality right now. The reality right now is that God is allowing, in this broken and fallen world, he's allowing suffering, he's allowing death, he's allowing disease, but here's his promise. He says, I will use that reality for my glory, and I will draw people to myself. This is exactly what you see in the story. He says, who sinned, this man or his parents? What a ridiculous question. Neither. This is a broken and fallen world, but look at what Jesus says. But this happened so that the works of God might be displayed in him. Neither this man nor his parents sinned, but you better believe I'll use it for my glory to draw him and his family and the people around him to myself. And we know that Jesus was always very strategic in the way that he did miracles, that he did things in the physical to teach us something in the spiritual. So he feeds 5,000 people, and then he gives a sermon about how he is the bread of life. Next week, he raises a guy from the dead, and then he gives a sermon about how I am the resurrection and the life. Here, he heals a man born blind, and then he goes on to teach us something about himself, and here's what he teaches. I am the light of the world. I am the light of the world. And most of us, we don't even have a category for this. But can you imagine living in darkness for your entire life, blind. And then suddenly, Jesus spits on the ground, he wipes the mud on your eyes, and suddenly you can see light for the first time. How bright it must have been. What a crazy experience. I don't know if you've seen any of these YouTube videos. If you, you haven't, you should Google them and check them out. Where they have these glasses now where people that were born with color blindness, where they can see light for the very first time, and it's interesting to see kids especially. The parents have bought these glasses for their kids and these kids haven't really seen any color at all. And they put these glasses on for the first time and just watching their face as they see color for the first time. I can't believe, it's gotta be like a, a very minor version of what this guy's experiencing. Total darkness for his entire life. And then all of a sudden he can see. And here's what is true. The darker things are, the brighter the light shines. The darker things are, the, the brighter the light shines. And this is a significant truth for us. 
Because we are living right now in a time of, just to be honest with you, I like to do that every now and then, um, try to do it every week, but just to be honest with you, we're living in kind of a dark time. People are scared emotionally, they're scared physically, they're, they're, they're scared in all sorts of ways. People are kind of freaked out right now by health concern, spiritual concern, economic concern, racial concern. It is like a storm of worry and concern. It is a dark time right now, but here's what that means. That we're living in a day and age where the light of Jesus could shine the brightest. It could shine light. Do you notice what Jesus said in this text? He said, while I am here, I am the light of the world. You know what Jesus said to his church in the Sermon on the Mount? He said, you are the light of the world. So he says, I am here right now. I am the light of the world, but you are the light of the world. You are my representatives here on earth. So if we are going to see Jesus shine the brightest that he can in a very dark time, here's what it's going to take. It's going to take his church rising up and refusing to give in to political divide and refusing to freak out and lose our minds in fear. refusing to give in to the things that our culture is engaging in, to refuse to give in to racism and just show a simple and different and better way, the Jesus way. It's gonna take followers of Jesus saying, man, I am going to take steps to be safe, but I am not going to be afraid. I am not going to judge people by the color of their skin. I am not gonna give in to the generational economic divide. I am going to show a simple and better way, the way of Jesus. And I am telling you right now in a dark place, that little light, if little, if little Christians, if Christians everywhere would give in to this philosophy, I am telling you, you would see that light for miles. You would see it for miles and miles and miles because the darker it is, the brighter the light shines. And we have an opportunity right now, like we maybe in my lifetime never had before. Maybe 9-11, right? But we have an opportunity right now to allow the light of Jesus to shine in a dark and desperate time. So let's get back to the story. Because what Jesus was trying to teach is that he's the light of the world. Let's get back to the story because after Jesus performs the miracle, like a lot of miracles that we've seen Jesus perform, the religious police come out. You know, ooh, ooh, ooh. The Pharisees, teachers law, they come out to investigate the miracle and they, they bring in the man born blind. And here's where we're gonna begin to see. I want you to see the steps, just the real simple steps that this guy takes from really knowing nothing about Jesus at all to full awakening, walking in the light, walking with Jesus. So here's where the investigation starts in verse 13. They brought to the Pharisees the man who'd been born blind. Now the day on which Jesus made the mud and opened the man's eyes was the Sabbath. How many times have we seen this now, right? It's like you can't make mud on the Sabbath. You can't heal a man born blind on the Sabbath. And they didn't understand what we talked about a couple weeks ago, that there is good work to be done on the Sabbath. It's got to be God's work and it's got to be good work, but there is work to be done. Verse 15. Therefore, the Pharisees also asked him how he received his sight. The man's really getting his story down now succinctly. He put mud on my eyes and I washed and now I see. (laughs) Right? He, he keeps whittling it down. You know, before it was like three or four lines, and I was like, mud, eye, sight. Right? Some of the Pharisees said, this man is not from God. He does not keep the Sabbath. But others asked him, how could a sinner perform such signs? So they were divided. Then they turned again to the blind man. What have you to say about him? It was your eyes that he opened. And the man replied, he is a prophet. He is a prophet. 
And this is the first step to moving from spiritual blindness to eyes wide open when it comes to Jesus. As you study the Bible, there's a lot of different ways to be a prophet. A lot of different prophetic stylings, I guess we'll call it, right? Um, One guy in the Old Testament, he's described as the weeping prophet. So whenever he'd get up to give a sermon, he'd just start crying, right? They don't understand why you guys are sinners, you know? And just all of a sudden water works in weeping, right? So he's the weeping prophet. There's the hellfire and brimstone prophet who just gets up and he starts yelling, he's ticked, he's angry, he's frustrated. There's the pastoral and comforting prophet. Right before Jesus, there's a quirky prophet named John the Baptist who lived in the woods and ate locusts and wild honey. There's a lot of ways to do the job, but there's only one description that every, every prophet has to have in common. There's one thing that what they're weeping, they're yelling, they're doing whatever, however they want to do it, they're doing it. But there's one thing that they all have to have in common, and here it is. The prophet speaks truth. He speaks the truth for God. He might do it yelling at you. He might do it awkwardly crying, right? He might do it exasperated. He might do it pastorally. There's a lot of ways you can do it. But in order to be a prophet, the one thing that you have to get right is the prophet speaks the truth for God. And this is the first thing this guy identifies about Jesus that I want to kind of lean in on a little bit. He said, man, that guy's a prophet and he's saying good things. You think about what this guy had been exposed to in his life in the first century as a blind man. And all of the different people that said, who sinned, your mom or you? Who sinned, your dad or you? That you were born blind. And he had to put up with that his entire life. And all of a sudden, this Messiah comes along. Jesus comes along. And they're like, who do you think sinned? She's like, neither sinned. What a silly thing to think. Neither sin that caused his blindness. But this was allowed in a broken and fallen world so that God's glory would be revealed. And what a breath of fresh air, a grace-filled teaching must have been to this guy's ears. What, 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 a, what a life changer it must have been. And maybe this is, where, this is kind of where, if you're here just kind of investigating Jesus, the first thing I would tell you is check out what he had to say. Check out what he had to say. Listen to his teachings and see if you don't agree with this guy. He's a prophet. He's a prophet from God and he speaks truth. I've seen several uh, different people do sermon series that I've thought about doing here because I'm really intrigued by this idea. But the sermon series is like things I wish Jesus hadn't said, right? That things that are hard or things that are difficult or you maybe have had this experience where like you're reading your Bible on a Monday morning before you go to work and you read like a teaching of Jesus and you're like, oh, I wish you hadn't said that. I had plans today. (laughs) I had plans for my enemy today, Jesus. (laughs) I had plans for what I was going to do today, how I was going to pay. Oh, I wish he hadn't said that. But even the things that Jesus said that you're like, man, I I wish he hadn't said that. I think if you've been following Jesus for very long, you can say, man, it, it is different, but it's good and it's better. And I would do well to follow them. Now, that being said, there are a lot of teachings of Jesus that I would think that our culture would just jump on and and enjoy and follow Jesus for. There's a lot of things that our culture right now would have to identify that that is a good thing. Jesus was a good teacher. He taught good truths. Let me show you one. Uh, I'm going to show you three altogether, but John 3.16 is the one we always think of. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. That's John 3.16. Check out John 3.17 says, for God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. I just think that this is a 
teaching our culture would be super drawn to right now, that God didn't send his son on a condemnation voyage, on a condemnation journey. He could have condemned us from heaven and saved himself a lot of time and hassle. He didn't send him on a condemnation mission. He sent him on a salvation mission. He sent his son to forgive our sin. He sent his son to make us right with him. He sent his son to give us eternal life. And I would think that this, in a day and age where we have a a lot of uh, conception about God, that he is far away and doesn't really care about us all this, I would think that this would preach. That no, he did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but he sent his son into the world to save the world and to offer us grace and forgiveness and kindness. Let me show you another one that I just think would play right into where our culture is right now. Do not judge or you too will be judged. For in this, not that part, this part, right? For in the same way you judge others, you will be judged. And with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. Why do you look at the speck of sawdust in your brother's eye and pay no attention to the plank in your own eye? How can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye when all the time there's a plank in your own eye? You hypocrite. First take the plank out of your own eye, then you will see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. And again, I just think this teaching just aligns with where our culture is right now. I would think that we would love this teaching, that we're gonna set aside judgmental attitudes in this place. Now, it's important to remember that there are times in the Bible where we are instructed to make sober judgments about things. It's like, well, like, are those texts like incompatible with each other? No, I think it's describing two different things. I think to make a judgment about something is different than being a judgmental person. And here's what I think the difference is. Making a judgment about something or about someone is always motivated in love. It's saying, man, this culture or this friend or this family member, they are heading down a bad path that is going to destroy them. And so I'm gonna make a judgment about this and I'm, I'm gonna approach them in love. So making a judgment is always empowered and kind of the engine behind it is, is love. Being a judgmental person always has as its motor pride and winning. That I'm gonna prove I'm better than you or I'm gonna at least prove that you're worse than me. And the question becomes, how can you make judgments without being judgmental? And Jesus teaches us. He says, before you do either, before you make a judgment about anything, you engage in self-reflection and self-evaluation. And you know what that does? You know what self-evaluation does? It causes us to not be blind on our own issues. It causes us to not have that moment where we approach someone and they're like, are you serious? because I see the exact same thing in you. You're serious approaching me about this? It causes us to not to be blind to our own issues. Self-examination humbles us and allows us to love the people around us. So I, I just think our culture would love this right now, this idea of setting aside being judgmental and instead following the other scriptural teachings of making judgments. Here's the last one. Therefore I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or drink, or about your body, what you will wear, Is not life more than food and the body more than clothes? Look at the birds of the air. They didn't sow or reap or store away in barns, yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much more valuable than they? Can any of you by worrying at a single hour to your life that there is a God who loves us and provides for us and cares for us and we are valuable to him? We are valuable to him. So we need not worry about pandemics and economics and 
all this other stuff. We can rest in the provision of Jesus. And this might be where you are right now. The first thing I wanna say to you as you maybe take a step toward Jesus is look at what he has to say. Look at what he has to say. Surely some of it is hard. I, I would never ever not say that. Some of it's hard, some of it's difficult. And, and some of it's easy and some of it we cheer on, but it's all true. It's all true. And if we're honest, when we read the words of Jesus, I think if we're honest, we typically say, that's a better way. Jesus had a better way. When I see what culture's doing, when I see what society is doing, when I see maybe what, that, what my friends or family are doing, Jesus shows a better way. The way of love, the way of grace, the way of truth, Jesus shows a better way. And so I would, I would encourage you, just pay attention to what he says and see if you don't have the same reaction that this guy has. He's a prophet. He speaks for God. He knows what he's talking about. What he says is true. I'm gonna pay attention to what he says. The story goes on. They bring in the guy's parents now. The investigation continues. They bring in his parents and here's what happens. We know he is our son, <laughs> the parents answered. And we know that he was born blind. But how he can see, or who opened his eyes, we don't know. Ask him, he's of age, he'll speak for himself. His parents said this because they were afraid of the Jewish leaders who had already decided that anyone who acknowledged that Jesus was the Messiah would be put out of the synagogue. This is why his parents said, he is of age, ask him. So a second time now, they've summoned the man in who had been born blind, give glory to God by speaking the truth. We know this man is a sinner. I love this so much. He replied, whether he's a sinner or not, I don't know. One thing I know, I was blind and now I see. Here's the second step he takes towards Jesus. He's acknowledging that Jesus has done good things in him and through him. He's like, I don't know, I'm not a theologian. The guy says, I'm not gonna engage in a debate with you about theology. Here's what I know. Yesterday I was blind and today I can see. And if I could humbly ask you, I would ask you to really focus on how Jesus has been good to you. How he's been good to you. We know how he's been good in the scriptures and we certainly should read about how he's been good in the scriptures. We can see the miracles that he engaged in. We can see the way that he helped people. We can see the way that in compassionate care he served others. We can see how Jesus is good all throughout the scriptures and we should focus on that. But I would ask, also ask you to just think about how Jesus has been good to you. You surely don't think you were just lucky, right? You surely don't think you were just lucky. If you are honest, you would be able to step back and say, no, I can see the way in which God's hand has been with me and guiding me and helping me and providing for me. This is not just luck, this is provision. And I, it's got God's grace all over it. it. It has God's love all over it. I can acknowledge, you would say, and I hope that you would, I can acknowledge that God has been good to me, and it makes sense that, that this would be in parallel with what he said, that the first thing we're looking at is what he said, the second thing we're looking at is what he's done. And, I, and these two things line up nicely, that when you look at what somebody says, that man, what a person says is a reflection of their character. And so when you look at what Jesus says, you can see that his character is love, his character is kindness, his character is goodness. So what, what a person says is a reflection of their character. What a person does then backs up their words and uh, gives full credence to their character. So Jesus says good things, then he does good things, 
I went to public school for a good chunk of my education, but I think that equals he's good. <laughs> he says good, he does good, he is good. He talks grace, he shows grace, he is grace. He talks forgiveness, he engages in forgiveness, he is forgiving. And so we see these things working in conjunction. I would just ask you, pay attention to what he says. Then pay attention to what he does. And then see if you don't arrive in the exact same position that this guy arrives in, that I'll show you here in just a minute. What happens to this guy? He's kicked out of the synagogue for being healed. He's kicked out of the synagogue for being healed. It was the center of Jewish life. This was a very difficult thing. Right? He's basically excommunicated from the synagogue for once being blind and now being able to see. That was his crime. It shows you kind of where the headspace was of the religious leaders. And then he's kicked out, and here's what happens next. Jesus heard that they had thrown him out, and when he found him, said, I love this interaction. Do you believe in the Son of Man? Who is he, sir, the man asked. Tell me that I might believe in him. And Jesus said, you have now seen him. In fact, he's the one speaking with you. And then the man said, Lord, I believe. And he worshiped him. He had seen Jesus the prophet. He had experienced Jesus the, the worker, the miracle worker, the, the Jesus who does good things. And he said, he's good. He's kind. He's forgiving. He has a power and authority over nature. He is who he says he is, and he worships. And this is almost always how spiritual awakening happens, if you'll allow me to use, to steal a phrase from our culture. This is almost always how it happens. Listen to his words. Take a look at his actions, including his action on the cross, by the way. I'm not just talking about how God has served my family, although I could tell you story after story after story about long lines of alcoholism on uh, my side of the family, and Jesus just did a good thing and rescued us. So I could tell you story after story after story, but I'm not just talking about how he's been good to my family. I'm talking about being able to look at a cross and seeing the Lord of the universe go to that cross and say, I will forgive Steve's sins. I will forgive your sins. I will pay the price so that you can have the relationship with my father that you were created to have, the relationship that I already have, I now am giving to you so that you can have it as well. And our culture, we love to talk in this culture right now about being woken up. And my prayer, I've been praying it all day, my prayer is that we would be awakened to Jesus. That we wouldn't just listen to his words, although that's important. We wouldn't just observe his good godly acts, although we would. Here's my prayer for you, my prayer for me. My prayer is that we would be convinced. My prayer is that we would be convinced that he is who he said he was and he can do what he says he's gonna do and that he is good and kind and faithful and sovereign and Lord. He is all of these things and that we would be convinced and awakened to Jesus. My prayer for you is that you would be convinced in him as a provider that he is a good and providing God. And because you are convinced of it, your anxieties would wash away this morning. My prayer is that you would be convinced of him as a savior, that he went to the cross and he died for your sins and that you would be convinced of that and you would trust him to forgive your sin. Believing that he can forgive sin is one thing. Believing he can forgive your sin is another. And so I pray that you would be convinced that he can forgive your sin. 
My prayer is that you would be convinced of him as a teacher, that he is a good teacher and said good things, that even when we don't like them, they are true. And that because you are convinced of him as a teacher, you would obey his words. My prayer is that you would be convinced of him as a Lord, that he showed power and authority over, over the heavens and the earth, and we are amazed by his authority. And that as trusting him as Lord, you would, being convinced that he is Lord, you would trust his actions. My prayer for you and my prayer for me is that we would be convinced. We'd hear his words, we'd see his actions, and we'd be convinced. And that as a result of being convinced, we would do what this guy does. I love the, I love the little phrase, he worships. He worships. It's like, I'm convinced. He worships and he trusts and he follows. And I only wish we could have followed his story further, don't you? It's one of those things that I'm going to kind of track this guy down in heaven. Like, hey, you're John 9 guy, right? Right? Tell me about the rest of your life. I'd love to know how a fully convinced guy lived the rest of his life, how he served his neighbors, how he helped his family. I'd love to hear the rest of his story. But for now, we're writing our own story. And that my prayer for you and my prayer for me is that we would leave this place convinced and we would leave this place worshipers. We have communion under your chairs. This is gonna be our moment of worship. This is our moment where you can say, man, I am convinced. I am convinced, Jesus, and I am gonna follow you. So if you wanna take it out, um, there's some bread on the top that represents Jesus' body given for you. And we wanna just say this morning, Jesus, we are convinced you are our Lord and we worship you. Let's receive it together. Then we have some juice representing his blood. This is our opportunity. Jesus, we are convinced. We are convinced about who you are and we worship you. Let's receive. In a broken and fallen world right now, where we are not convinced about much, you know, we're not convinced about when uh, a vaccine is coming. We're not convinced about when school's gonna get going again here uh, locally, when you might not be convinced about when you're gonna be going back to work. In a world where we're not convinced about much, we can be convinced about Jesus and we can trust him and walk out of here in confidence, not knowing how the circumstances are gonna work out. We can walk out of here in confidence knowing that we serve a good savior, we serve a good Lord and we follow him and we worship him no matter what. Let me pray for us. Heavenly Father, we thank you for Jesus. We thank you for his words. Even when we don't like them, we, we have to admit they're a better way and they're true. We thank you for his actions, the miracles he performed, the cross that he went to. Just personally in each of our family's lives, we can see how you've been at work in our families. We're grateful for your actions. And today we just, we're convinced we're convinced in who you are. And so help us to be worshipers. Help us to, to be so convinced that you are our provider, that our anxieties would go away. That we would be so convinced of you as savior that we would have confidence in your forgiveness. 
that we would be so convinced in you as a teacher that we would obey your words even when they're hard, that we would be so convinced as you as Lord that we would trust your actions even when we don't understand them. May we be convinced as we leave this place. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.